Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today, we are in chapters two, three, and four of Solomon Says. Solomon Says. Say what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Solomon Says by uh, Mark Horn. Mark Horn. So that's uh, the genesis of adulthood, the dereliction of dominion, and fighting for the future. And there's a lot <laughs> packed in these three chapters. So um, uh, this may go long, or we may just be extra disciplined and go uh, be very concise. But yeah, we'll so, see what happens. So chapter two, we're going back to the beginning, which if you're talking about biblical masculinity or femininity or whatever, it better start in Genesis. If yeah. you're, you're going to build anything, just because uh, before you even ask a man like, you know, should I take this job or that job? You should go back to like, okay, what does God call you to do? Not just as a Christian, but as, as just a man. Yeah. And, and uh, he gets into these two, what he calls two constituent elements of the dominion mandate, which are work and wife, or as he says, labor and marriage. And this is really how we become fruitful and multiply. So uh, what kind of stood out to you in chapter two? Yes. So what I think is really important here is he, he connects Proverbs, again, like you said, back to the very beginning. So if we're going to know what it is for us to be men, and we got to know what we're for. Yeah. What did God make us to do? And to know that, you've got to go back to the garden. And he actually mentions that um, Proverbs is one of the only, one of three places in the whole Bible where the imagery of the tree of life um, comes to play. So you yeah. see that in Genesis chapter 2 the tree of life, which is in the middle of the garden. And then you see it in Revelation. So the Bible is bookended by the tree of life, this garden imagery, and then Proverbs has it, yeah. which is sort of like a big, you know, in, in biblical theology and Bible study, that should be a big red flag that says, okay, this is important. Go look here. So um, I would say that's what I was really impressed by was how he takes us all the way back to looking at, okay, what was man oriented for? Because I think a lot of times in our evangelical even talks about masculinity, we're so quick to just talk about gender roles and like, oh, well, this is what the Bible says. And like, like, um, like it's a malleable plastic, mm -hmm. right? So men and women are just sort of these androgynous things. And the only reason, you know, men can be pastors or that women should be in the whole, uh, in the home, not in the whole, um, is because God said so. Mm -hmm. Which, no, actually, if we go back to Genesis, we see there's an intentional nature and an, an intentional design that God gave us that act, that is what gives this this trajectory that he talks about here with work yeah. and life. And you might even say uh, God says so, maybe not just in scripture, which he does, and, right. and that is just as binding, but he says so through the natural revelation. So scripture is the special revelation, creation is this natural revelation, and, and essentially means you can look at your body parts, you can you know look at yourself, and you see that there is actually... Uh, God speaking to you through that, you know, yeah. if, if you're a man and you're struggling with same-sex temptation, you could just, you, you, you're a man, you right. have man parts, God, it's a built-in design that you are supposed to desire a woman. Not, right. not a man. And of course, we have scripture forbidding sodomy and these things. But you also just have the natural testimony of how God made us that teaches a man is for a woman and a woman is for a man. And that is the only way that we can actually obey the first command to be fruitful and, and multiply or this, this dominion mandate that he gives to be fruitful and multiply. 
Mm. Um, he gets into this uh, uh, talking about despising honest work as a temptation of youth. Um, and I think uh, there's this idea, especially for young people, we want glory without the suffering. So we want the fruitful and multiplyingness without having to go work. Right. Right. Or, or we, we want the girl, but we don't want to, you know, do anything to give, to give her something. Right. We, we want the glory. The woman is the glory of man. Fruitfulness is the glory of mankind. Hmm. And, and it seems like the trick, uh, the, the, uh, temptation of youth is to try to bypass the suffering and the work it takes to get there. Right. And just go straight for the glory, right? The kid just wants the lollipop. They just want their allowance. They just want dessert mm. without having to do any anything for it. Um, and I think Jim Jordan says somewhere that uh, effeminacy is false glory. Mm. Effeminacy is false glory. And I've never really thought about it that way. Um, and so what, what this would do is it, it would mean that get rich schemes, which are something that uh, Proverbs points out, yeah, throwing throwing your money with us will lie in Robbers, wait for blood. Yeah. yeah, you're you're robbing. It's like what are the sins that young men do in in gangs? And at some level, you think uh, the ma- the macho ness of a gang is actually pursuing go- the glory that God wants to give us, right? In a unlawful way, and on that level. It's it's actually effeminate. You're you're trying to get the glory without the real suffering that comes along with it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think that's so important. I think that's why it's so important that he starts with de- defining what the dominion man it is, right? That Adam was created to be a king, right? We talked a little bit about this last time about we, we're created to be kings. We're created to take dominion of our own space. But you really see that quite literally in the garden. God made Adam to work and keep it. Yeah, a- and. So this pursuit of sort of false glory or this shortcutting to glory is trying to shortcut the natural way that God made you. God made man to work the soil and then, you know, you wait for rain and then after time the fruit comes up. And there's sort of a labor and reward that is built into the way God made the world, right? God could have made the world in which we just put, you know, things in the vending machine, you know, coins in the vending machine and pop, but pop it comes out. But that's not how he did it. So I think that that's spot on. When when you try to either steal wealth that somebody else made, mm-hmm. you are um, not only um, despising your own office as a king, yeah. but you're despising God's office as, as a king because he made um, he made multiple kings, right? Everybody has their own sort of sphere, yeah. and then you are basically saying, "Well, actually, God, you're not in charge. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm now." the supreme king yeah the sin of the sin of youth and you could say our first sin was grasping for the knowledge of good and evil which is representative of kingship so knowledge of good and evil in the garden didn't just mean uh, did adam not know that murder was wrong or this or that Uh, no he knew that uh in scripture the knowledge of good and evil is the power for a king to make a judgment and you see that when solomon asks for wisdom and you see that all through proverbs it's the knowledge of good and evil the knowledge of casting judgments and the sin in the garden is is eve to eve takes this fruit uh, she gives it to Adam. Adam and Eve are grasping for a position that God wants to give them, but they're they're grasping for it too soon, or uh, they're they're basically stealing something. They're trying to steal glory, steal a position before God wants to give it to them. I think that is so indicative of what you see, kind of what are 
kids sins mm. you know the you put the marshmallows on the table and it's like all right don't don't eat that and they're just yes. like it's hard to re to resist waiting and, and right. so much of discipline when you're a little kid is not yet mm. no you ca you can't drive the car yet we talked about this this last week um, page 26 there's this quote about acquiring wealth by godly means that I, I want to look at uh, he says that the contrast between the foolish and the wise is not that one desires to acquire precious things and the other does not desire to do so the contrast lies in the means used for attaining them and here he, he's getting just at wealth as the example of uh, something to be uh, pursued it's not like Christians should not pursue wealth. There's da there's dangers with it, and we'll we'll get more into that um, in the next chapter. But there's a there's actually a godly way of getting it, and there's an ungodly way of getting it. And you think about Jesus' whole mission. Uh, Jesus comes and does what Adam fails to do. Jesus gets the glory, uh, all glory, all honor. But he does it in the way that his father commanded him to. Right. And he, you know, he lives in obscurity. He, he suffers and dies. He, even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And it's like, that was the son of God. Hmm. And, and then we sometimes think, oh, I, I could learn wisdom another way. It's like, <laughs> even, even the like perfect sinless son of God had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. And, and why work, would we, yeah. yeah, why would we be exempt from that? We're reading through the Gospel of John, and Jesus says over and over again, you know, I came here to do the will of the Father. And, and this is why people can't get their hooks into him, is because he's not controlled by them. He knows really clearly, I'm here on a mission, my Father's given me orders, and he's the one I'm seeking to honor, not any of you clowns. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you can see even, I mean, not to go too often to the, the weeds here, but the attractive lie of Bernie Sanders, right, or socialism yeah. on college campuses today. Because what is, in essence, that the uh, political framework or ideology, like free health care, yeah. free college tuition, every, you know, um, everybody getting a living wage. Um, it, it's sort of policies which are designed and, and aiming at the, per, that particular temptation in the garden, yeah. a shortcut to glory. Uh, basically saying, hey, not, uh, and, and sort of like a, uh, a neutering of the office of king. Like not only are we gonna um, give it to you, but we're gonna take away that sort of dignity that you need and that God has given you to achieve those things. Yeah. Would you rather be given the inheritance from you know, your father, let's say your father is this rich hedge fund manager, and it's like, if you're going to school, everyone just is going to know you as, as the rich boy, right? And right. there's this whole, uh, this is also part of why you, you'll see this in kind of like hip-hop culture, the whole self-made idea, <laughs> where it's like the man, the man who is self-made is so impressive and mm. glorious, and then we make fun of and we mock the people who just received the money without doing any work for it. Now, it's a good thing to have an inheritance, to give an inheritance. And so both of those, um, I, I think the self-made, self-vain glory right. is a sin. It's, it's often the ditch that people who are very, uh, that work really hard fall into. Hmm. When you're really good at working or really bright, you're prone to trust in your flesh. And this is why Paul would say, 
you know, I could, if you want to measure, you know, who's more Jewish than who, who's more righteous according to the law. I'm going to out-Jew you every day. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll, <laughs> he'll out-Jew you. He, he's, he's outworked everyone. And, Paul, and, and yet Paul still says later on, comparing himself to the apostles, I worked harder <laughs> than all of the apostles, but the, the crucial line, yet not I, but the right. grace of God that is in me. And so we have to avoid this, um, the indignity of not working to acquire wealth, yeah. uh, of trying to bypass those things. But we also don't want to fall into the other ditch of just being fleshly and yeah. self-made and just trying to climb over people to, to elevate ourselves. That's also a vain glory, a glory that points to us and not to uh, the glory of God. So to kind of summarize uh, chapter two, uh, you might say a living by plunder is the opposite of the dominion mandate. Socialism is opposed to the dominion mandate. Uh, Jacob, any other thoughts before we go to, to chapter three? No, I think we should keep moving. All right. Chapter three, the dereliction of dominion. Uh, why don't you kick us off? What did, what did you see in this chapter that you liked? Yes. So here he essentially, what I, what, I, what I really liked about this is he talks about the idea of prosperity, right? And he says prosperity, it sort of gets at what you were just talking about, is both a test and a threat. So um, in one thing, we would say it's really good to be doing well. We're glad to be living in the 21st century where we've got dental and indoor plumbing. But, in a lot, but throughout scripture, um, wealth was always an opportunity for people to despise God and to um, become lazy. So we're talking about to think that it was their own righteousness or, be, you know, because they did descend from the hedge fund manager, yeah. that they sort of, it was owed to them. And um, we live, you know, we were just speaking with Horn and we live in probably one of the wealthiest, well, definitely one of the wealthiest countries in the world and um, a much more prosperous place than ancient Israel. Yeah. So how much more um, are we going to be tempted to think to coast kind of on our laurels and think that we have it made? So I thought that was I thought that was a a really important point there as we start as he starts to transition to talking about the difference between diligence yeah. and slothfulness. Yeah. Some people want to uh, put a kind of like tension or uh, disagreement between Jesus' discussion about money and and riches with kind of a biblical or an Old Testament view or even what uh, Solomon says about wealth here and say, under the old covenant, it was all about these earthly blessings, but in the new covenant, it's only about spiritual blessings. And I think that that is a false dichotomy. And, And Jesus, I think is just, when I read him, he seems to be saying a lot of the same things that Solomon is saying. I believe it's in Proverbs 30, where there's this prayer, give me neither poverty nor riches, uh, uh, poverty lest I, you know, uh, curse you, curse yeah. you, or riches lest I forget you. Yeah. And, and the whole the whole test of riches of wealth is to see, are you going to now trust in the wealth that God gave you? So let's say you started out trusting God, He gave you the wealth, but then you started trusting in the wealth instead of God. Mm. And in some ways, that's actually what Solomon did, right? He broke all the laws of kingship that were laid out in Deuteronomy 17. He multiplied wives, he multiplied horses, and he multiplied 
gold. And eventually, what did he do? He was trusting in political alliances through marriage. He was trusting in uh, chariots for offensive war and conquering people, not not the way that God would have him do it. Hmm. And then he, he trusted in wealth and riches. He, he amassed this this thing. And God, God wants to give us the world, right? We're going to inherit the whole world, yeah. but he wants us to do it by faith. Yeah. I also was thinking this week about Abraham and Lot. So Abraham and Lot are both standing there looking at the land and they're saying, who's going to go this direction and who's going to go that? You know, we have, we're too big. God's prospered us, but where are we going to go? And Lot, Lot looks and he sees this fertile land. It's fertile, like the garden of Eden. And you think, oh, that, that, that's the place to go. Find out later it's going to become a Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to destroy it. Right. And, and then uh, Abraham says, all right, I'll go, I'll go this way. So one, one is walking by sight, earthly sight, but Abraham walks by faith. And what does Abraham actually receive? He, he received the whole world. He received everything that Lot was trying to get, but he's, he's going to get even that and, and more. And I think we have to remember that as we're, as we're receiving or, or trying to uh, build wealth or, or in, increase uh, what God has given us to know we can't trust in them. Hmm. It, it will, it will um, uh, come back and bite us if we do that. Yeah. Um, this whole chapter, I found, is really a test, not just of prosperity, but he gives a few other examples. He goes into sleep, uh, wine, prosperity, and leisure. And, and so these are all things that I would say are, are good things or potentially could be really good things, but that we abuse or misuse. Sleep, alcohol, prosperity, and leisure. So I want to just talk a, a few minutes about sleep. Uh, so Jacob, do you have any, uh, before I, I rant on this, do you have anything to say about sleep and, and what he says on page uh, 35 and, and 36 here? Yes, I, I think um, it's very convicting. <laughs> you know, uh, and especially, well, it's convicting because the scripture is convicting too, right? Do not love sleep. I mean, how many times do we say, oh man, if I could just take a nap, yeah, right? And there's, and the point is there's a place for that, right? And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap, especially on the Lord's day. But um, I think there's, a, there's often a, 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 an attitude and a mentality behind, um, and it gets back to the misunderstandings we have for what we're created to do. Should we expect our day to be, um, to be sort of operating on this peak kind of physical, emotional level. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So when, you, when we wake up in the morning or when we get to, you know, when it really matters, three o'clock in the afternoon and we're tired, yeah. what, do we have some sort of weird expectation that if I were, you know, charged up <laughs> after a week in the Bahamas with 20 hours of sleep a day, then I would be more faithful. Then I would be more kind. Then I would be more loving. Mm -hmm. And I think it's convicting. How many times have, you know, in my own life have I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just tired. Um, and, and what I'm doing in that moment is you're actually, you're making sleep your master, right? You're, and, um, and you're also excusing your own lack of diligence because you could have gone to bed earlier. Yeah. You couldn't have, uh, couldn't have, um, well, was trying to do the opposite of going to bed earlier, staying up late. Yeah. That's the one. Um, so I think it's a pretty convicting thing, especially as somebody who enjoys 
a good afternoon nap. Yeah. One of the things that I've appreciated about Pastor Doug's work, especially his family books and his preaching, is he often just talks about the, the two ditches. There's always a ditch on, the, on one side of the road and the other. And I think this is a really help, helpful kind of image and tool when you're approaching any of God's good gifts, whether that's food or sex or money or whatever. There's, a, there's always going to be a ditch on one side and a ditch on the other. Right. And you want to walk the straight and narrow path. You don't want to turn to the right or to the left. You want to stay faithful. And so if I could hit this from two different angles on sleep, and then I'll do the same thing on alcohol. So with sleep, there are people who simply do not sleep at all or don't sleep enough. Or, right. or uh, they are, I think it, it says in Psalm 127, God gives to his beloved sleep. Hmm. And it's fun, funnily enough, that's a word, it comes right after uh, children are a heritage from the Lord. Hmm. And so it's funny, I'm, I'm about to have my son could come any, any moment, my wife could go into labor, and I'm just waiting for my sleep to be disrupted by a child. But Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, and God gives to his beloved sleep. And so somehow, I, I'm, whether I'm going to be getting up all night to, to take care of him or change that, whatever we're, I'm right. doing... God gives his beloved sleep and children are still a blessing. Yes. And I'm not to despise the children because now they're taking from my sleep. But I'm saying, oh, this is a sacrifice that I'm making. And I want to make that sacrifice with faith, cheerfully, knowing that God's going to bless that. Right. And so uh, some people, they, they really should go to, go to bed earlier and, and get up earlier and get your full seven, eight hours. I think uh, if you, I've re I read a book recently on the kind of biology of sleep and all the things that it does to your body. And it's like, yeah, sleep is a, is a blessing. It's how you, uh, if you're sleep deprived, like you will die. Yeah. You know, people can shave years off their life by not sleeping. It's actually a big problem. And in our world of anxiety and fear, it's like, that that's uh, you're not uh, you're not doing good if you're staying up, but you're anxious the right. whole time. So you don't want to be eating the bread of anxious toil. The other ditch here would be um, the person who is um, kind of uh, just being being lazy, the uh, sluggard almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sluggard almost who, who's indulging. So you you want to treat sleep like you would treat food and alcohol. How has God given it to you? Are you sleeping okay. enough? Are you sleeping too much? Are you using it as an excuse for your sin? Yeah. Or, or an opportunity to actually energize and bless people? Um, one of the things I also remember Pastor Doug saying is that you should climb into bed at night and be tired. Yeah. Right? You, you should have spent your energy. And sometimes, just like you said, we have these kind of false expectations for what our body should do, or, oh, I, if I had just this, if only I had these ideal circumstances, then I could really yeah. be godly, or then I'd just be really living the good life. But what if you get to the end of the day and you're just dead tired, and you're like, man, thank you, God. I'm glad I'm tired because it means I, I worked hard yeah. today. Um, uh, Jacob, why don't you tell us about the ditches when it comes to alcohol here and, and how uh, we should think about using alcohol or wine in a wise way. Yeah, so on the one side, um, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, right, where it says that there's a, uh, a, the teaching of demons as those who sort of deny food and drink. Yeah, forbid right? marriage. Forbid marriage and, and basically say 
there are certain kinds of foods and drinks that you should avoid. Yeah. So uh, on the one hand, you've got the teaching of demons, which rejects um, not not it doesn't do this with just alcohol, but that's a major one, and it says it's bad completely teetotaler. Uh, if you if you drink it, it's a sin, and so even we're going to do grape juice on the, the Lord's Supper. Um, now we could talk about okay, are there prudential calls for why somebody should avoid or even cut out alcohol altogether? Um, but that would be one ditch, is to say. This is bad, period, because then what you're saying is God, who James says is the father of lights, and he's from every good thing comes from him, mm -hmm. you're saying he gave something bad, right? You're, you're basically rejecting um, also what scripture has to say about him giving wine to gladden man's heart. Um, on the other side, you've got, um, and uh, Mark points this out in this chapter over and over, is that in Proverbs, you have some of the, the strictest sort of injunctions against drunkenness. Yeah. And some funny ones, too, yeah, yeah. where it's like you'll feel like, you know, someone will punch you and, and you won't feel it. You'll feel like you're on a ship. And, and I'm like, who the? Yeah. <laughs> and if you've ever drank too much, you know that that's true. The room gets a little bit wobbly. Right. And it's like, like you're on a ship. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh, Proverbs, you know, thousands of, <laughs> thousands of years ago is describing what frat boys experience every weekend. And this this right. is up applicable. But, but go yeah, on. And, and, and again, you know, do not be a champion of wine. Yeah. That's sort of that, the idea. Uh, you know, you see college guys bragging about, oh, how much I can drink and look at this. And, and that's basically what beer kegs are. It's like, yeah. I'm just going to put as much alcohol into my body as possible. Um, but it falls into the same trap as the glutton. Uh, you're being ruled by your appetites. Yeah. If, you, if you go back to what we talked about last time with the um, the uh, example of uh, what uh, the guy who... Did we actually talk about it on the podcast? I can't remember. Uh, but Mark gives this example of a guy who has... Uh, his body is a slave. He's sort of rented out to these different things. And so he goes in for a job interview, and they're like, oh, hey, can you get here at 7.30? And the guy goes, well... That may be hard because, you know, wine, women, and late night TV have my body from about 9.30 to, to you know, through the, the yeah. middle of the night. So you make the other ditches making your body a, a slave to it. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have Paul who says, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but, on, you know, but be full of the Spirit. Um, so there's questions of when you are sort of going to the bottle to chase away your problems, there's an appetite problem, there's a self-control problem, and there's ultimately a not being sort of governed by the joy of the Spirit. If you need alcohol to rejoice in the Lord, then there's a, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. So what he says is the overarching vice underneath abusing sleep, wine, and wealth is actually sloth. And then the opposite of sloth, he says, is uh, diligence. And I want to just read uh, this quote on page 44 real quick. He says, Sometimes people are, people are willing to work, but only for a little while before they quit. Thus, the opposite of sloth isn't necessarily hard work. It is, nor is it even long hours. Someone might boast in working long hours three days a month when the project requires more consistent, dedicated time than that. Long hours are necessitated in certain circumstances, but not all. Hmm. That is why the antithesis of sloth, sloth is consistency or diligence. And so, uh, this is for all of you crammers out there. Right? Uh, <laughs> cramming can often be actually the result of your slothful behavior not chipping yeah. away not doing what your what your teacher would say you're just like daily 30 minutes or your, your daily homework it's like yeah when you're in school you have to be taught these habits and, and the reality is a lot of people have just 
developed bad habits for their whole life, and they think that, okay, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'll just pull an all-nighter mm. there. I have never pulled an all-nighter in my whole life, wow. in my whole academic life. And I, I was uh, yeah. you know, basically a 4.0 student in high school, uh, in college, et cetera. But the, the idea of an all-nighter, I was like, why, why would you do that? And, and there's also kind of you know, interesting studies about how much you actually retain from that or staying up. Right. Now, that, that doesn't mean that if you, you know, you're working a full-time job, you are also going to night school, that- The ox is in the ditch. Yeah, yeah. Th yeah th there's gonna be times where you may need to be working into the late hours or waking up and, and you're sleep you're just saying I'm gonna sacrifice some sleep so that I can do this. But mm. just know like at, we're Christians. Whatever we do needs to be done in faith, otherwise it's sin. Romans 14, 23. And so if you are waking up early or if you are going to pull an all-nighter, at least do it with like a clean conscience knowing that this isn't a result of my sloth. Mm. Uh, uh, and if it is, then repent of your sloth, pull the all-nighter, get, get the project in, but then you need to make some real changes yeah. with consequences to get out of that habit. That's good. Uh, so summary kind of takeaway from chapter three, God's rules and wisdom are given to us to make us strong. Uh, God wants to elevate us as kings and rulers, and obedience to his law is the path to glory. So a receipt, every time you see an imperative in the Bible, and especially Proverbs, just think about it as someone like your strength training coach telling you, I want you to lift this. You, you can do this. This is how you put on, get, the, get those gains. All right, chapter four is fighting for the future. Jacob, uh, why don't you take us into chapter four? Right, so he starts this chapter uh, by saying, wisdom is intimately related to preparing for the future or future possibilities in the present. Right, so, uh, and then he gives the example from uh, the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, tells a parable about the man who built his house on the sand versus the man who built his house on the rock. And uh, what struck me about this chapter is how um, we tend to think about making wise decisions. Okay, um, I'm just kind of going along my life and then I sort of get to a crossroad and I need to go this decision, that decision. Thank you, God. I prayed for wisdom. I made the decision and I can carry out my life. But um, what he really brings out is that wisdom is not just making judgments about the present, but it's about how can I set myself up to um, make judge not only make judgments about the future, but be prepared for the different circumstances or situations that God brings my way. And it sort of it's connecting back to the picture he's been building about us taking dominion of our lives and trying to essentially unlock the different to max out on what God has given you in your various talents and intellect and virtues um, and saying, okay, um, by doing so, by focusing on those things, you are preparing yourself for the possibilities that God is going to bring, uh, whether they're good things, blessings, or whether they're challenges and trials. And wisdom is preparing yourself for that so that you can handle those well mm -hmm. and not completely fall apart like the man who built his house on the sand. Yeah. There's this really funny section that I did not expect in this book, and it's called Handguns Can't Shoot Down Poverty. And, and he starts this section with this question, should a young man buy a handgun? And so there's all sorts of issues here, but uh, his point is this. Uh, he says, this, uh, there's reasons for not getting one. Uh, and he says, my argument for this is simple and twofold. 
The first reason is that handguns are expensive to purchase and also expensive to keep since practice with them requires the cost of ammunition and usually a designated place. The second reason is more important and universal. A growing stash of saved wealth is usually the main tool of personal freedom and independence, not a handgun. And as someone who owns a handgun, I have like a, a nine millimeter and I think I spent, I don't know, $500 on it and buy yeah. ammo, but it's like, I've only fired that thing like once in the last year. I think it was like my bachelor party because it's like I don't have a property where I can just go, you know, you can't just guns kind of, around you know, here. Yeah. in the city. Just yeah, I mean, this is Idaho, yeah. but <laughs> there's some I mean, rules here. Yeah, there are some rules. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day in the future, if I had property, then I could I could have enough acreage to yeah. just shoot guns into into. But that costs money. Ammunition costs money, and and we're headed there. Yeah, we're building dominion. Yeah. That's what this is. So so I can tell you. Yeah, okay. There, let's say it's five hundred dollars to to buy a, a good a good handgun. I think I have uh, what do I have? I have a Glock, um, mm -hmm. and I really like my Glock. But you could also do other things with that five hundred dollars. And he says this, this: this is great. He says, practically speaking, after staying out of trouble altogether, the most important tool one can possess in dealing with government hostility, which is the thing that we claim we need the guns for, in the U.S. is the ability to afford a skillful lawyer. <laughs> so it's like, good, yeah. you can have a handgun or you can have a lawyer. And, and ideally, I think you should have both, right? So I think right. you, you want to have wealth, you want to own a weapon to protect your home, protect your, your wife and family, learn how to use it. But man, you want to have a good lawyer that you can go to <laughs> and a good one that you can afford. So if you have wealth, you actually have the ability to have more independence than yeah. someone who, who does it. I, I think that's a really fascinating insight because he's getting at a bigger thing, which I, especially as, as young men, we're tempted to think, <clears throat> um, what can I just buy? Right? Or what's the, again, this idea of shortcutting. We're trying to shortcut on wealth, on dominion, on inheritance, and those sorts of things. And so we think, if I can just get this sort of status with a symbol, then I'm prepared for it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of different ways that that can look, but I thought that's just an interesting principle because I think it's, that's, instead of doing the hard work mm -hmm. of, you know, saving, putting a budget, putting these things together, we go, oh, well, if, you know, if I had this, then I could, you know, protect, for, save for the future. Or if I if I invested in a new laptop, you know, oh, I need a new laptop, then I could, you know, work. Like we're so quick, our sort of, you know, our eyes stray on these different things that we think we need. When in actuality, you know, that doesn't actually hold a candle to the sort of persistent habit of diligence, which will actually enable you to get those things. It doesn't have to be. Uh, against one another. Yeah, so I want to I'll close with this kind of anecdote uh, about how I tried to make a change in my life that was uh, uh, I, That I thought would be a good long-term experiment. So I think for most of my life I've had a gym membership. So when I was in college we had a, a free one to you know all this amazing equipment basketball courts and stuff right. when I was at UW. It's huge uh, But after that, you know, I pretty much paid anywhere between say like 30 to $45, depending on what gym and, and where I was living at the time. And I think here in Moscow, a uh, uh, membership costs probably around $40. Yeah. And so if you do the math, 40 times 12 is $480. So yeah, I, I still know how to do math. And what I did was I just thought, okay, let's take a year's worth of a gym membership, $480. And I happened to have some space in my house at the time. And, and now uh, I have a little garage area where I can do this. I thought, what if I 
spent $480 buying equipment that I would want to use for kind of my fitness goals. And so uh, my mom uh, and I, we found like a really good kind of uh, bike that I could use for doing cardio in, in the winter time. Uh, and then I got a, a weightlifting rack so I can bench, I can squat. I was actually right. kind of impressed. I bought this on Amazon and uh, found some weights and whatnot. So uh, let's say I spent $480 on that equipment and now it's in the garage. And the blessing was when COVID happened, all the gyms are shut down, but mm. I have my own little personal gym. And if you think, just, just imagine if you chipped away and took all of the money from your gym membership mm. and inv invested in it, if you want to call it an investment, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, uh, into equipment or a space where you could have your own, like you're the king of that space. It's like mm. there's 24 hour gyms, but like, when COVID comes, like your 24 hours is zero hours yeah. now, right? Yep. And it's like, not only do I have that now, I have the opportunity also to have my friends over to to do to work out with them. My whole family can can use the equipment I have. So now I'm actually blessing other people. And, and I think that's actually a pretty basic financial decision that I made. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. And now I'm wondering, okay, what other places would can I want to make that decision? Right. So I'll give you one example, and, and I, so I have not done any of, the, any of this yet, but this is uh, one of my plans. So um, right now I don't have like a ton of furniture, and I was thinking, oh, I need some bookshelves. And then I was like, all right, I could buy some bookshelves, but I'm so tired of these particle board flimsy bookshelves. I go on Craigslist, that's another good way I, I could find them. But I thought, I actually kind of want to develop a skill. And I'm like, I don't know anything about woodworking, but what if I just tried to build a, a bookshelf. That's like a pretty basic yeah. woodworking thing to do. And so I just got on YouTube researching. Okay. Yeah. There's all these, there's tons of videos of guys making bookshelves. And so I just spent, you know, uh, uh, an hour or so researching this. What would it take? What tools would I need? And, and now I, I have a plan. So it's like, all right, at some point, if I have the space that I can start chipping away, buying this tool, mm. knowing how to use it. And so I'm not just buying a bookshelf now, I'm buying an education. I'm buying a life skill mm. that I could then impart to my son or do with other men where we, we could build something together. Yeah. So I, I want to encourage you guys to be creative, to be thinking about ways that you can uh, be wise with your finances and then actually invest that into a place where you could be the king of your domain right. and, and ruling and then helping your brothers do the same. Yeah. All right, Jacob, uh, anything else you want to add before we close out? No, I think, uh, well, I guess if I say no and then I start talking, <laughs> then I guess it means yes, right? No, I, but I think to echo, one of, the, one of the first things I did when I moved out here was I read Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And if you haven't picked it up, it really is a great resource, especially if, if the idea of a budget is scary to you or you say, how, where would it even start? I don't even, you know. Learning how to take those first steps of dominion to um, your finances, because especially we, we're, our temptation to do the get rich quick thing. Maybe you know I'm going to get the Robinhood app, the Acorns app, and I'm yeah. going to invest in Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin right? Bitcoin, yeah. Bye, bye, bye. And and we think you know, and we think that's investing for the future, but in reality is we don't know how much money we're spending, right? We have no, and we don't have, um, uh, we're not we don't have a habit of just saving up a certain amount of money each month or yeah. we don't have a habit of giving 
regularly to the church. So that'd be just one practical recommendation I would have is, is uh, if you need help, a budget, get a hold of one of us, uh, read that book. It's very helpful. Um, and one of the things that Horn even says in this chapter is um, you want to, it's not that luxuries are bad. It's not like we're saying, oh yeah, don't, you can't buy the things yeah, you rice want. Rice and beans and that's rice it. Rice and beans. Yeah, you can't buy those those boots you want, right? You can't buy a new computer. Yeah, we'll have to talk about boots on another episode. <laughs> like some good boots. Yeah, yeah good boots. Yeah, but that, maybe that'll be a new segment is, <laughs> is evaluating boots. Like I give this boot a 3.5. Um, um, so it's not like those things are bad in themselves. It's, it's the again, the the attitude and inclination of, okay, am I actually, is my decision to buy them hurting my future? Or do I have dominion over my budget such that when I do buy something that I want and that is a luxury, um, I'm still preparing something uh, that is going to go on after me. I'm not dipping into my savings account yeah. to buy boots. There's no buying anxiety, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that would just be, um, that. I think it's just a really helpful thing. So. All right. Well, that's uh, it. My name is Jacob Rush. He is Aaron Ventura. And uh, whatever you do this week, get wisdom. Get that wisdom. Peace.